This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information rather than real practical advice? I'm Diggory Waite, and this is The Real Sex Education. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest. We'll impart our own sex wisdom, ask our own sex questions, and we'll go over all the things they don't teach you in school. To bring this all together, though, we'll need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. In this episode... We speak to Alice Olivia Scarlett about asexuality. I had never heard the term before, so I googled it, and instantly, when I googled it, I was like, oh, wow, yes, this is me. If asexuals should be classed as LGBTQ+, basically what they're saying is you're not traumatised enough to be queer. And how you come out to your parents as asexual. If you're gay, you get to say, I want to do this thing. With asexuality, you're more like, I'm going to stay at home and sit quietly. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Real Sex Education. I'm Diggory Waite and as ever I'm joined by accredited sex and relationship therapist Kate Campbell. Hello mum. Hello Diggs. Each episode we're joined by a guest to discuss a different area of sex and relationships and today we're very glad to welcome Alice Olivia Scarlett onto the show. Alice is a writer and editor and speaking to us today about what asexuality is and what it entails for her. Now people might think it's peculiar us talking about asexuality on a sex and relationships podcast but it's an important sexuality type that we need to discuss. It's very important. It's, it's, it's a kind of sexuality just like any other. What is asexuality? Oh, it's it's many things. So some people are not so interested in sex at all under any circumstances. They don't masturbate. They're just not interested. Mm. Some are interested at some times with some people. Some people who are asexual will have sex to please their partner, but they could take it or leave it themselves and they identify as asexual. Mm. Then there are some people that just enjoy the romanticism and they like relationships where there is lots of cuddles and romance and no sex, or they might like just sex with no romance. And so there are so many types of asexuality. Mm, Exactly. And as always, in the show notes, we'll have links to some websites and stuff, which uh, list obviously lots of different types, because it is helpful. I mean, sometimes people often joke about these things, these lists are a little bit daunting, but it just helps to sometimes put that. Yeah. uh, And I'll talk about it in the blog as well. Check that blog out in the show notes as well. But another thing I wanted to ask you as well, Mum, was that Alice talked about her aha moment and when she realised that she might well be asexual, when she was reading something called slash fiction. And when she said slash fiction, you nodded knowingly like you knew what she was talking about and I was just sort of left there dumbfounded. What is slash fiction? So it's when you take two characters which are unlikely to get together sexually and put them together. Fictional characters. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, you could if you're making up a story about them. So it's often it's often sort of fan fiction where people like a couple of characters and they put them together and they create stories or cartoons or films or whatever mm. about those characters. And sometimes it's a form of cosplay as well. Mm. People dress up as the different characters. So that can happen. But you can, you know, just try and think of some really, really unlikely characters and it's just quite fun. So Sherlock and Doctor Who? Yeah, maybe Sherlock and Doctor Who. Yeah. yeah. Oh, or and like, Theresa May and Chris Whitty. <laughs> that'd be good having a little secret affair yeah right okay if you yeah. say so yeah the guy from poldark and literally anyone else 
<laughs> yeah, maybe not. So, uh. yeah, so often people think of cartoon characters. So mm. you've got, you know, the Little Mermaid and... Roadrunner. Roadrunner. Perfect. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. No, I like this slash fiction thing. I might have to... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll check it out. Go and do some more research. Okay, now it's time for us to speak to and welcome writer and editor Alice Olivia Scarlett onto the show. Alice, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Today, we're here to talk about asexuality and you identify as asexual. Yes, that's right. Yes. And how how does that manifest itself for you? For me, that's little to no sexual attraction and little to no interest in sex at all. I know that's Mm -hmm. different for other members of the asexual community. Some people are asexual and still very into sex. And for other people, it's like it's a distraction or an annoyance or just very low down on the list of priorities. So for me, it's just not really something I think about. Mm. I mean, though, in a way, it is something I think about a lot because we live in like such a hypersexual society. But if it was, you know, just Mm. me in a forest somewhere... It's not something that I would think about very much. Is it something that grew? I mean, is, it, is this something where you where you sort of gradually discover something because we're so socialised to just assume ourselves into couples? Do you gradually sort of come to the conclusion that that's where you are? I think so, yeah, because especially as someone who's, you know, assigned female at birth, you immediately are like given all these expectations that, you know, that's your happy ever after. And it's always really intertwined as well that like sex and romance are exactly the same thing Mm. so for ages as well I was convinced that I couldn't be asexual because I knew that I wanted to be with someone romantically Mm. but it always seemed like it was an either or deal but not that they were exactly the same thing Mm. when that's not the case so when when did you was there like a light bulb moment when you were like ah I'm asexual or, or was it was it a bit more gradual it was like a I did have a really great light bulb moment and it was on fanfiction.net. And it was in the author's note of a Scarecrow and Joker slash fic. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And then in the author's note, they said, oh, I'm sorry if the steamy scenes are like not quite accurate or not quite there. I'm asexual. So this is like a strange area for me. And I had never heard the term before. So I Googled it. And instantly when I Googled it, I was like, oh, wow, Yes. This is me. This is then that was my light bulb moment. Yes, that is so interesting because it just makes us think this is not something that's discussed very much at all, which is why we are so thrilled to be talking to you because there's no education about this at all. It's it's a mystery to most people, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't want to say that I had a harder time of it, but I think because I come from a Christian background and when that is your only source of information about sex and it's kind of steeped very much in the religious idea of abstinence, hmm. then that kind of makes it even harder Yeah. because then you kind of have this inbuilt thing that says, no, it's actually good that you don't want to go out and fornicate, <laughs> <laughs> as it were. Yeah. Whereas perhaps in a more secular environment, it would have perhaps been more apparent earlier on, maybe. I mean, I don't know, I can't say, but I think mm. that definitely influenced how I viewed myself and my sexuality, just that religious influence upon it. Mm. And maybe at a different mm. time in history, you might have paired up with someone and then been told, switch it on now, all that abstinence has been great, now you need to be sexual. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Asexuality doesn't, doesn't for a lot of people, right, it doesn't mean a complete shut off of sex it might just mean that it happens 
you know, or, or, or can an asexual person go out with someone who isn't asexual? I mean, that's a question that I think a lot of asexual people really struggle with. I'm in a few um, communities online and on Facebook, and the question that gets asked so often is, can that happen? Can an asexual and a non-asexual person be together? And I mean, some of the stories that are told there are heartbreaking, and mm-hmm. the level of trauma that exists within the asexual community is really terrible because you get active acts of trauma where it'll be, you know, someone's partner is like, oh, I can fix that Mm. and Mm. won't take no for an answer. And then it turns into a kind of corrective assault. And then that's on the one end. And then on the other end, it's not as extreme as that, but it's still just as damaging because it boils down to a partner saying, well, no, I'm going to leave you. Mm. Uh, We've been together for, you know, 20, 30 years and you've just discovered this about yourself and that's a deal breaker for me. And all the other parts of the relationship just vanish away to nothing. And the person feels, you know, completely reduced to this one bit about them. And their whole personality is just nothing in comparison. So I think that's probably like one of the biggest things that the community does struggle with. Well, I mean, one of the some some of the people that I see are having sex and actually enjoying having sex. But what they say is, "I'm doing it for for my partner, but I wouldn't bother with it if they weren't bothered." Mm. Yeah, it's really awkward because you've got that. Well, you know, is this properly consensual or what's going on here? And they seem cool with it, but you can never be sure. Mm. You know, it's it always feels a little awkward. Yeah, I think that's the kind of thing that you have to take on a case by case basis. Mm. Because attitudes towards sex just differ so much. You know, one asexual, it might not be entirely consensual because the idea is like repellent to them. Mm. And then for someone else, it might be like, "Mm, yeah, it might be like, I really like Lord of the Rings. And my partner does not like Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) But at Christmas time, we watched the first Lord of the Rings film. And that was clearly like a gesture that he made for me that didn't cost him a great deal. And I like to think he benefited from it as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so for some one person, it might be, this is a gesture that I can make and it doesn't cost me that much. And I know it's really going to bring happiness and satisfaction to my partner. And for someone else, it would be like, no, like this would be an absolute betrayal mm. of myself. Mm. And if I engaged in this, it would be like, it would be traumatic. It would be giving away a part of myself that I can never get back. Mm. And that's definitely not something that goes into making a healthy, happy relationship for me. So that's, again, why it's so complicated, because everyone is so different. Mm. And it's so common. I mean, I see loads of couples where this is exactly what happens. And it's really interesting to sort of talk to them about how great the relationship must have been, that this person who has been conforming in a way that they felt they had to suddenly is empowered to recognise what they really feel and say, okay, I'm asexual and there I draw the line. And then you have to obviously negotiate the relationship going forward, but it often is negotiated extremely successfully. But what's so awful is when people don't see that and they say, well, you've just decided to switch off from me, it's rejection, that's Mm. it. And they don't see asexual sexuality as asexuality as a 
new word sexuality um, <laughs> because it, it is one just as much and it's often the case that people have to go through a long lovely relationship in order to discover what they really feel but it oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just sort of recognize it earlier and not have all that trouble yeah definitely I think I mean that's another thing like how soon do you disclose this mm. because if that is going to be a deal breaker you know six months down the line or 20 years down the line it's important to get that out in the open as soon as mm. as soon as possible, I think. And do you think coming from that Christian background that you mentioned earlier, was it harder for coming out? I think so. I mean, I made like a tiny kind of small post on Facebook about it, mm-hmm. but I, did, I never had to, you know, sit down and like have the conversation. Like it'd be too anticlimactic. Like if you're gay or, you know, a lesbian or anything else, then you get to say like, I want to go forth and I want to do this thing. Whereas mm-hmm. with asexuality, you're more like, no, I'm going to stay at home and sit quietly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you come out and say, mum, dad, I'm gay, that means that I might well bring a man round for Christmas one yeah. year, you know, or a few years or, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas some asexual people, they may well still bring a man home for Christmas, but you might think that they're just not having any sex or as as much sex as other people, potentially, because you can still be romantic, right? Yeah. Not, well, not all people who are asexual are aromantic. Oh, definitely. I mean, I have a partner and I love him very much. When you do have that split divide between asexuality and aromanticism, the conversation perhaps feels a little more vulnerable because if you're, it's way easier to talk about romance than it is about sex. So if you are able to say, you know, mum, dad, I'm gay, then... You can talk about, you know, oh, I love this person very much. I love this guy. I love this girl very much. Whereas with asexuality, it just it instantly goes to a different place. And it's way more, mm. it is way more intimate. And that's not really something you want to talk about with your parents. Yeah, <laughs> well. Present company accepted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is emotionally draining to have to come out over and over mm. again. And it's not even just like a coming out you know, like the mum, dad, mm. I'm gay, people instantly know what you mean. Whereas a high new person who I've just met, I'm asexual. It's so much more complicated and it goes on for so long. And by the end of it, it's like, are you willing to invest that much emotional energy in this conversation, which feels like most of the time it's going to end in rejection anyway. Mm. So I can see why you'd want to postpone that because then it's like, you know, you might have that conversation and then go on two dates with this person and then realise, oh, no way, actually, then definitely not right for me in like loads of other ways, which has nothing to do with sexuality. Yeah. And then you went through that emotional draining, taxing process, like for nothing. I mean, one of one of the things that's always really bothered me when I started training as a sex therapist long, long ago, it was taken for granted that people who didn't have much sexual desire had something wrong with them and it was to be treated. And there, there still is that to mm. some extent. And it just, di- I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do that. Here is somebody saying, I don't want to do this. And I'm saying, yeah, go on, do it. I mean, I never did because I was I was useless. I was absolutely hopeless because I didn't do it because <laughs> it just didn't feel ethical uh, ever, and it felt much more interesting to discover what they wanted and what did work. 
rather than forcing people into something that doesn't. And I think that's what society kind of does, doesn't it? It just says, this is what you're supposed to be like, get on with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, do you, do you find that you're under any pressure from just friends or other people who don't understand? Not so much friends, because I guess my friends are great. <laughs> but with therapists, I've had some really great therapists and counsellors, but also there has been the kind of, it's not said outright, but a bit like, you know, you kind of just need to like grit your teeth and think of England kind of God mentality. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad it wasn't said directly to me, but that kind of undercurrent, I think, is everywhere because it is just, it's seen as normal and it's seen as necessary. And, you know, there are still guys, I've, you know, spoken to guys who are like, you know, this is like a basic human right. And also this is something that I need on the level of like oxygen, food and water which isn't helpful at all. And even if people don't say that outright, there is still the assumption that, yeah, you have to have this and it trumps everything. Mm. And it's the most important part. And I mean, maybe for some people, it is a big part of their relationship, but I think it would be strange if any healthy relationship had sex as the fundamental thing in it, the thing that went above everything else, like more than talking, more than just having a good time, more than just, you know, liking the person. Yeah, I I guess with all things, it depends on what it means to you. And a lot of people use sex as evidence that somebody cares about them. Mm, And mm. that's why it's so important. So it's not really the sex. I mean, although I'm sure there will be loads of people who say, oh, yes, it is. But there is also an awful lot about what it signifies and what it means to the person that's really yeah, important. definitely the feeling of I think being seen mm. that people equate with sex yeah that is very important and I suppose if as well if you think of sex as the end product of a lot of communication and a lot of tenderness and emotionality then yeah it is great and then you could say that that is a very important part but it's never discussed in that kind of with that kind of nuance it's always just this is the thing and you've got to have it Mm. and that's it we often try and make that distinction between you know being intimate doesn't always just mean having sex because i think that's the important thing you know like it's you and someone else and you feel close but it doesn't have to be necessarily like a sex thing and it can still be intimate you know and romantic yeah like it's when intimacy gets confused with sex and especially when it's just the, you know, very heteronormative penetrative sex, which is like mm. a whole other conversation. Mm. It's not a bad conversation, though, because so many people see, think things are OK. I mean, a, a, especially a lot of men. So I'd hate to sound so genderist about this. Women, too. But people think that if they're having sex, the relationship's OK. So they'll coerce for sex to prove that the relationship's OK, mm. which actually proves it isn't. But they'll do that and then say, phew, we're, we're good because we're still doing that thing and it proves I'm all right and it proves I'm a man or woman or whatever it proves and and it's used so inappropriately sex well it kind of reminds me of what you were saying before Alice about how you know people like guys in the past or people in the past have been like you know sex is like a fundamental human right and that sort of thing and it reminded me and again I'm this is a bit embarrassing, but a video I saw on TikTok the other day, <laughs> and it was a video about this girl, and she was being like, I've just discovered that, like, blue balls isn't 
necessarily real and blue balls for people that don't know at home blue balls is this like phenomenon about how like if you've been like sexually aroused and you're a guy but you don't finish you don't ejaculate then you've got all this sperm ready to go and you need to you need to have sex to get that out otherwise you're going to be in pain it's gonna be awful so she was doing this video and being like you know i've just found this doesn't exist and the comments were flooded with with other people Mostly girls being like, I thought this was a thing. I thought this was like a, a real important thing. And I was letting my boyfriend do this and that and making sure I, you know, and it was awful. And they all felt like they'd been completely duped. And and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Maybe it does. All I'm saying is if it's, if it's that important, go elsewhere, go to the toilet, sort yourself out or whatever. <laughs> like, and, it, and it's that sort of thing. So it, it's definitely, there definitely is that element to sex where it can it, it, it's used in that way yeah yeah which is awful isn't it definitely i've had the blue balls thing said to me there you go yeah yeah it's, uh, have, you, have you ever seen one this is what i want to know has anyone ever actually <laughs> witnessed a blue ball no i don't know why people fall for it Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Something I wanted to talk to you about though as well, Alice, is um, one of the discourses online that I've seen is about the LGBTQ plus community and asexuality's place within it. Do you consider yourself part of the LGBTQ plus community? Yes, in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. But have you experienced any of that, like that whole like questioning thing about it? Yeah, like- definitely. Basically, it boils down to people saying like asexuals don't go through trauma in the same way. As other people in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And I do see this point because if you are asexual, like, taking myself as an example Mm. my partner is a man so I can walk down the street with him and I can hold his hand and be in public with him and no one's going to shout at us or you know we're not going to suffer violence Mm. because of that but this is the same argument that I've seen people use about bisexuality as well where you have the straight passing privilege Mm. and often if you take away all like the fancy language basically what they're saying is you're not traumatized enough Mm. Mm. to be queer or to call yourself LGBT, which is terrible because then it's like, how much trauma is, how much trauma is enough? Mm. You know, what if you were gay, but you grew up like, you know, with amazing parents and they were really communicative and you were able to come out to them with no, you know, no problems at all. And you grew up in an amazing neighborhood and you didn't have 
anything bad happened to you, does that mean then that you can't call yourself queer? Like, mm. it's just such a ridiculous benchmark to put in place. And I think it just demonstrates a big level of misunderstanding mm. as well about the asexual experience, which in a way is understandable because it's not talked about that much because people often don't realise that it is a valid identity. But ironically, I think it is the same kind of gatekeeping coming from the queer community as it is from the straight community, where it's just not seen as something real. Mm. And I can see why if you've fought for decades to be able to have sex with the person who you love, to have someone say, no, I'm just not going to, then it is going to feel strange or alien or perhaps not not something worth getting into a fuss over. Mm. It's a different argument, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, the invisibility is just as traumatising, I mean, in many ways, as as, as anything else. So yeah. if, you, if you feel like you don't exist and no one can see you, what's that like? You're walking down the street hand in hand with somebody and everyone assumes you're straight. That's not on. Yeah, exactly. You know, there is so little visibility that you are invisible. And then it means you're constantly, you know, you constantly have to question like, oh, is this real? Am I real? Am, do I just have a hormone imbalance? Am I just strange or repressed or weird? Or there's something odd going on that I don't know about? Or something bad happened to me that I've repressed from, mm. you know, 20 years ago. But that kind of damage isn't it's much more insidious, I think. Mm. So it's not immediately apparent. But no. the lack of empathy that does come from the LGBT community often is quite staggering. What is wrong? Well, I mean, that's the thing when you... When, I suppose when those sorts of things are, are levelled at people who are asexual, when they're like... The things that you mentioned, you know, religious trauma, uh, young and inexperienced. What What is wrong with being asexual? What what do they think is wrong with it? Like why do they why do they feel the need to it's threatening? Like... Yeah, mm. I think it is a it is a threat because society holds up sex as the goal for everything, and I mean capitalism plays a huge part in this because it's you know buy this toothpaste and you'll get laid yeah. somehow yeah and you know buy this deodorant buy this car buy this wine mm. etc and always sex is the goal so right from the beginning sex is meant to be a priority. And I think often people will make like big life decisions based on the idea that a happy ever after with sex and romance is what you have to aim for. Mm. So that's your end goal for lots of people. And then if you meet someone or if you see someone and they've kind of rejected those values and those priorities, I think it can be quite discombobulating mm. because you've seen someone and they've not followed the you know traditional established life pattern mm. and then that makes you consider or maybe reevaluate your own choices that are based on these values that this person doesn't have and then so you lash out because you're scared and you're threatened and mm. you're confused well yeah because it may, it suggests that yours might not be right that it might be a bit more complicated yeah. than you think mm. it is yeah which it bloody mm. is i think often those kind of changes are kind of shamed as well like you know the idea of the midlife crisis it's like the butt of a lot of jokes mm. where it's like, oh, you reevaluate yourself and it will be in a jokey way mm. where you buy a car and you find a boyfriend instead of a girlfriend, that kind of thing. Or you divorce your wife and find someone else or you move to Tibet to find yourself again. 
So there's a lot of pressure to not do that, you know, to stay with the status quo and to Mm. not question things, Mm. especially if you're older. You know, questioning is meant to be something that you do when you're a teenager, you get it out of your system and then that's it. And then somehow by the time you're 21, you've found yourself and that's it forever. Mm. Well, it's so not true. And when you think about how many older people don't have sex, I mean, there are an awful lot of people who feel they shouldn't have sex or they just mutually agree not to or they just fall out of the habit, even though they might want to or one might want to or you know there's so much going on but if you're older it's all right Mm. it's kind of allowed to be asexual Mm. again it's putting people in boxes and assuming that that's the way they should be and it's great for some people not for others that's funny with that stereotype because yeah that you're talking about the stereotype before Alice of being like oh well if you don't want to have sex you're just young and inexperienced but then also the stereotype well well, if you're old of course you're not having sex no one is when they're old so it's weird it's like (laughs) (laughs) you've got a strange like middle-aged hypersexual window yeah exactly Mm. exactly yes quick do it (laughs) Alice we usually ask our guests if they have any any sort of um advice or like parting education they'd want to give if there was like one thing so any any advice or final bit of education um i think get to know yourself i guess this is just like a general blanket for anyone and for anyone who might be questioning get to know yourself very well and don't be scared of the answer that you arrive at seeming strange and don't worry about it seeming like a weird outlandish thing that you're doing for attention Mm. that's something that held me back Mm. Where I thought, oh, I I just want to be special, so I have to have a special label. And it's not, no, it's not like that. You know, whatever you feel is valid. And I know it's a cliche, Mm. but it's really true. So get to know yourself and get to know your feelings and validate those feelings. Mm. Also, sex doesn't equal romance. Boom. That's a good Mm. one as well. I like that. Great advice. Alice. Thank you so so much. It's been it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's been really cool. It's the mailbag. Send Katie queries to podcast@hatch.com. It's the mailbag. Send Katie queries podcast@hatch.com. Hello there. I have a query for Kate. I would like to know when the real sex education mailbag starts. The real sex education mailbag starts right now. Thank you. Thank you so much again to Alice Olivia Scarlett for coming on the podcast to speak to us. It was really, really great. Thank you so much. You can find her on Twitter at The Magic Kind and via her website, aliceoliviascarlett.com. And as always, as it's the Real Sex Education, we have a wider reading and watching list in the show notes as well and Mum's blog where she goes into a little bit more detail about what we discussed today. So do check that all out. Mum, it's that time again. It's mailbag time. This is the part of the show where we give listeners the chance to send in their questions via Instagram at RealSexEdPod or on email podcasts at hattrick.com. Send them into Kate, an accredited sex relationship therapist, and she answers them. Mum, mm-hmm. I chose the first question today because it kind of feels like the opposite of what we've been talking about. It's from someone named Phoebe. And Phoebe says this My boyfriend. <laughs> Is that the cat? Yeah, excuse me. I told you if you're going to be in here, you need to be quiet. Sorry about that, guys. If you hear any more of that, then it's Niles. Anyway, the question. My boyfriend and I have been dating for 14 months. He's kind and funny, has a good job, and my friends all really like him. I love him, but we're not sexually compatible. I want sex more often than he does. 
when I ask to try things or do things differently, he does for a bit, but eventually we just end up doing the same old thing again, which I think he likes, but I don't. We've talked about it and it's clear we don't like the same things. Our relationship is great in every other way and I feel bad for wanting to break up over sex, but I'm unhappy and I've had good sexual connections in the past. Is it wrong to break up because of sex? So I've got a couple of questions on that. What is sexual compatibility? It's really interesting. I mean, I I would say it's the ability to negotiate. Mm. That's what it is. It's that because this doesn't sound like an ability to negotiate. It sounds like separate positions where both partners are quite scared of discussing something. I mean, this the person Phoebe is it Mm -hmm. who's written in. It sounds as though she's mentioned something once and she thinks right that that's it. Mm. forever and maybe the partner thinks well maybe it's a bit boring if I do that every time maybe maybe I don't want to talk about it the partner might like it as much as she does Mm. who knows but they're not really discussing this are they she's taking one position he sounds as if he might be a bit scared too she says our interests are completely different how does she know that because if they're not talking that much how can she be so sure? When I asked to try things or do things differently, he does for a bit, but eventually we talked about it and it's clear we don't like the same thing. So to be fair, she okay. she does say mm, they talked okay. about it, but I mean, yeah, the extent to which they have maybe is in question, but let's pretend that they have. You know, what if they've talked about it and he's just like, no, I'm just not into that. And similarly, well, she's like, well, I'm not into what you're into, whatever. You know, what happens then? Yeah, well, I mean, some, sometimes there are ways around it. So sometimes some sort of role play works. Mm. or Maybe that's what she wants to try. <laughs> And he's saying no. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe, maybe it is. But, but, you know, I think sometimes going straight to, you know, an ultimate thing Mm. isn't what people want. Like, for instance, if you were interested in, um, I don't know, anal sex, say, for the sake of argument, Mm. you might not want to go straight to penis in anus sex Mm. or pegging or whatever. Mm. You might be more interested in maybe starting off with sort of touching with fingers or then moving on to tongues and also. Also doing some proper research into hygiene and, you know, the best way of doing this and preparation and all of that kind of thing and allowing for that rather than saying, you know, this is really what I want. Same with kink, any kind of kink or, you know, anything, even oral sex, some people are not, you know, that mm. that keen yeah. on. It's just a preference. Now, th- there are some things, I mean, I, I'm sure you and most of the listeners and myself, we all have areas where we just are never going to go. Mm. There are some things where we're just going to say, no, 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 no. And there's no point in going on about it because they're not going to go. But, oh, I'd like to try this beginning thing is very different from well, let's just race straight to, mm. you know, full-blown S&M. Let's, let me tie you up and flog you. Mm. It's not the same. as well. let's just try this little thing that I quite fancy. Or I quite like the idea of being tied up. What do you think? That sort of thing, rather than going all the way there mm. right at the beginning. It might be that there is more room for negotiation. Another negotiation is, of course, to fulfil those needs in a different relationship. Mm. And some couples manage to do that. If there are things one likes and the other one doesn't, you know, they, they do that. So or, a form of polyamory. Yes. Or or other people do just say, okay, well, that's an interest that I will not be able to indulge mm. in this relationship. But the relationship's that important to me. It doesn't feel as if this couple have really, really given it their fullest attempt at understanding because I have the feeling that the other partner isn't fully on board. I don't know why. I just get this sort of sense that the other partner needs to know a lot more. 
and maybe is just timid and maybe is frightened of getting it wrong. That's a re- another reason why lots of people say no to stuff because they're really scared that they won't do it well. They're not as experienced. They don't know as much about it. They need more help. You know, it just feels like they're not really giving one another the chance to express what they want. Mm. Well, I think I'm going to ask this question as well, because this was one on the Instagram, which I thought was interesting linked with this one. It's from Brandon, who says, do you think sex is important for a relationship? And I just think like that depends on the person, because obviously we've just yeah. we've just spoken to Olivia Scarlett, you know, and there's plenty of asexual people out there. They're asexual mm. for a reason. So sex to them mm. isn't important for a relationship, but they a lot of people can still have romantic relationships without so is sex important for a relationship no not necessarily it depends on the relationship however it sounds mm. like for this person for phoebe it is important for her relationship and i want to put the question to you just one more time regardless of because you're quite right maybe they need to have more of a conversation about it maybe there's more to be done but is it wrong to break up with someone because of sex no, of course not. You have your reasons and you have a relationship that doesn't feel fulfilling, then you might well want to break up mm-hmm. just for that. There aren't rules about what you're allowed to break up for either. I mean, you know, I don't know why anyone would think there were, but everybody is individual and people's needs also change over time. I mean, it might be at the beginning of a relationship you would not consider having the relationship in the first place with somebody who said, really, sex is not on the agenda for me. You might say, well, you know, it is for me. So maybe we need to just be friends or have a different kind of uh, romance can't come into it. You might make that decision. Mm. If it happened 30 years down the line, though, you might feel very differently about that. You might say, well, actually, you know, I can't imagine myself ever wanting to have sex again. And yet you love that person, you're part of a couple. I mean, I've used the two big extremes, Mm -hmm. but what I really mean is context is so important. You can't say in blanket terms, sex is always important. Mm. You know, it does depend on the context. It depends on the individuals. It depends on this period in their lives and what's going on for them. But, you know, it is true that most couples that get together want some kind of romanticism, some kind of touch, some kind of intimacy. Not everybody does. We know that. Mm. We absolutely acknowledge that. But a lot of couples do, and it does make them feel closer. But you have to ask, what does sex mean to you? Why is it so important? Because for some people, having sex is about their identity. Mm -hmm. And they feel if they're not having sex, they think there's something wrong with them. They compare themselves with other people who they think are having sex. And they think if I was a proper man, if I was a proper woman, if I was a proper person, I would be having more sex. And if I'm not having sex with my partner, it means that they don't like me enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not, you know, all of that sort of thing. So work out as well why sex is so important to you, what sex actually means. And then you stand more chance of getting your needs met. But when you just say, I just need it, and that's all there is to it, Mm. you actually, you don't stand much chance of getting your needs met. You need to think about yourself a bit more, bit of reflection about yourself and the relationship and the context and what you want, and then all comes together. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. Thank you very much. Here's another one from Amy, who has emailed in some very lovely stuff. So thank you so much, Amy, for that. And she basically asked, I want to become a sex therapist. How do I do that? Mum, how does Amy become a sex therapist? What a great question. Mm. Well, so if you were going to become a fully qualified sex therapist, then you will probably need some couple training. So some of the courses 
do both. They give you couple training and sex therapy training. But I'd actually say that the fully qualified sex therapist training gives you the equipment to start your journey, your career, but then you add to it and add to it and add to it over a long time. So what I would say is if this is something you're going into, you're probably going to be wanting to do a lot more training and There are many courses available and they are available via the College of Sexual and Relationship Therapies website. There's a list on there of the courses which are accredited by Mm. the college. And they're obviously the ones you want to go for because they're going to be the ones that will help you to find work and have professional standards and work to a standard. Some of them are more academic than others. Some of them are at about the level of second year of a degree. Some of them are more master's level. And so some of the courses will only be quite short, a year or something. And some of them will be two years, four years. You know, they they can be much longer courses. Mm. So check them all out and think about what the contents of the courses, whether they meet your needs. Some people are already working in relationship therapy. So they already have lots of skills. They're able to talk to people about sex, but they want a bit more. Mm -hmm. And so they might do a foundation, just do a foundation course and acquire some skills to do a bit better. But to become a fully qualified psychosexual therapist, which is what we call them in this country, you need to do at Mm -hmm. least probably one year or two. Usually most of the most of the courses are two years. So we'll wow. we'll put the link in the notes for the page. Fantastic. Excellent. So Amy, best of luck. You have great taste. So yeah, best of luck. That's it for today. Thank you so much again to Alice Olivia Scarlett for sharing her experiences with us. Thank you to Kate Campbell for some more excellently answered questions. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you again here next week for some more real sex education. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Real Sex Education, which is hosted by Diggory Waite and Kate Campbell. The show is produced by Diggory Waite, and the executive producer is Claire Broughton. The Real Sex Education is a hat-trick podcast. This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between Diggory Waite and his mother, accredited sex therapist Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his mother was played by Gillian Anderson.